This is Kyle Cord, and you're listening to Austin, Felix, and Matt on the Debbie Debate. Welcome to the Debbie Debate. All right, boys, are we ready to debate? Austin, you tweeted something, girl. You tweeted your running back tonight. Explain yourself. Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand. <laughs> you jumped up and... That's Austin Mace. Who is going to be that guy? And for me, B. John Robinson is still going to be that guy. Back to the ground with Robinson, who spins and then tries to bounce it. A stiff arm, another one as he rides it, keeps his balance. They're going to say he stepped out, but I'm... I'm Felix Sharp. I know you didn't think that we would get through this episode without mentioning the name one Zach F. Wilson. Screener draw. Oh, Wilson is going to uncork for the end zone. And he drops it in beautifully. And it is his roommate, Dax Milne, on the touchdown. That's Matt Brody. G. Scott Jr. Obviously, I whacked poetic about him on the last episode, so I won't do that again here. And this time it's Fields on the carry. Watch out! Justin Fields! Hello, Columbus! 51 yards! Vernon, are you ready to go head-to-head with me? I am. Gotta get my popcorn out here. Hold on. Gotta continue. I got to. Kyle McCord is going to end up winning the job. He's going to be rated higher. Um, well, I'm not nearly as passionate about what I'm about to talk about. Uh, our apologies to Kirk Street and Atlanta Time will get him rescheduled soon. And for Matt Bruning and Austin A, I'm Felix Sharp. Good night and good luck. It's 9.30 Eastern Time, the only time zone that matters. That means it's time for the Debbie Debate, brought to you by CampusToCanton.com. Matt Bruning and Austin Nace are here. Chris Moxley is out tonight on an air raid version of tonight's show. Potential bowl breakouts is Arch Manning, QB1, 2023 freshman class. And should the Lions, the Detroit Lions, draft a quarterback? But we start with Mike Leach, Coach Mike Leach of Mississippi State, who passed earlier this week. A record, an all-time record of 158 and 107 losses. Uh, coaching tree that you could really put up against Bill Parcells or Mike Holmgren, the godfather of the air raid. And Matt and Austin, he did it without making recruiting um, a basis for his success. He kind of just did it with the guys that he had, and he competed with the big boys through um, his time coaching, but even more so. Uh, sprung names like Eric Morris and Lincoln Riley and Cliff Kingsbury and Graham Harrell, uh, a, a coaching tree that is, you know, um, right up there with the best of the best. What are your thoughts, Austin, on uh, Mike Leach and his influence on college football? Yeah, I mean, I think um, it's it, obviously when when somebody that is as renowned and well known as Mike Leach dies like everyone comes out of the woodwork and you know only has good things to say about the person and um, all of a sudden has all these amazing stories that nobody's ever heard before Leach is one of the few guys that like it actually feels genuine which i think says a lot about 
him overall. You know, like they're I, I, we we're, we're back to doing parting shots. I actually have a good parting shot on this uh, for the end of the show, so I don't necessarily want to dive too much into it now. But I mean, I think his dismissal from Texas Tech is so far behind him at this point. Like I, I think he's been vindicated on this. He's just a guy that was universally loved, and I think that's quite honestly. Um, Probably, I, I think that's the thing you take away the most from this guy. Like that, that you know, players that played for him loved him. Player, people that coached with him loved him. Opposing head coaches loved him. Uh, the media loved him, which is rare. You don't usually find all those those in one person. So I think just the fact that he completely changed how college football is played, did it his way, and is still you know very much a, a beloved figure. I think just speaks to to who Mike Leach was and, and and kind of his legacy moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up at a time where I honestly did not know if he was ever going to get a job again after everything that happened at Texas Tech. He was He was very vilified, especially here in Texas with everything going on. And I, I do kind of agree with what Austin said. Like, that's been put behind him. You know, people make mistakes and and I, I don't want to there's definitely been some things said about you know the way he's handled himself on and off the field but I do think that he is a very beloved person in the college football community because of what Austin just mentioned I mean it's not just been other coaches it's been players media members and and he's one of those people who he's goofy's not the right word but like I don't know that he's really self-aware of how like funny he is. And so like he says things and you know that he's being honest and he's not going about it in like a way to try and make you laugh. That's just who he is. That's his personality. He's quirky. And I think that's why we all fell in love with him. You know, he, he's got all these great moments with reporters. Uh, recently, I believe it was Alyssa Lang. I believe he had a great moment with her about her talking about getting married. Um, th there's just been a lot of stuff like that, that I think he's really endeared himself to. Um, and he pioneered the air raid system. I mean, he grew up in that. He made it a big thing, like Felix just said as well. Uh, the fact that, you know, he did that without really bringing in these top-end recruits, I think just shows how great of a coach he was, too. Like, I, it, it's funny – or not – it's not funny. Uh, Josh Pate, I believe, mentioned this on his show, which I think dropped this morning. Uh, I was listening to him talk about the College Football Hall of Fame. And how, like, you have to have a 60% winning percentage to get into the College Football Hall of Fame. And Mike Leach is at, like, 59 points something. Like, he's not quite at that, that threshold. But he was able to do that at not, like, top-tier schools. Like, he went to Texas Tech and turned Texas Tech into what we consider it now. Because it was not that before he got there. And then he goes to Washington State. And as Moxley put together some stuff first, talk about, hey, like, he had like an eight and nine, nine and eight season every single year, not something Washington State was used to when he got there. And now he comes over to Mississippi State and he was doing the same thing with them. If if he was able to go to a high-end program like a Texas, an Alabama, an LSU, I really think that he would have easily crossed that threshold. I think he'll get in eventually anyways uh, because of how great of a coach he was. But I just it, – it's sad to see – it end like this. Like you don't typically expect something like this, like to wake up one morning and just see a coach that was on the sideline three weeks ago, winning his last game in the egg bowl. Like typically it's coaches that are past, you know, they're not in the coaching game anymore and you're kind of expecting it. So to see that happen that sudden, like a, 
you know, just as I know we've all kind of expressed and everybody has, you know, just, just prayers to his family, his teammates, coaches that came up with him, that loved him, all of his players who have succeeded on and off the field. And I'm sure a lot of that due to him as well. Like it, it's, I'm sure a, a very hard time and it, it sucks that we're not going to be able to see him on the sidelines anymore moving forward. I really think about Austin. You said he changed college football. He really did change college football. When I started watching college football, in the 90s, Nebraska was dominating. We're talking about option, option, uh, and then Miami kind of took over, and they were they were more fun to watch with uh, Andre Johnson and Ed Reed and Sean Taylor and um, uh, Ken Dorsey there. Um, but Mike Leach actually affected the way offenses play. I think around the country. I mean how. How many teams run some version of the spread or air raid or incorporate those concepts? I mean, Lincoln Riley has essentially done it with four and five star recruits. Now he took he took what what he learned from. And, and for those who don't know, um, Lincoln Riley came to be a, uh, a walk on at Texas Tech, I believe. Grew up in a small town in Texas. Mike Leach said, you're not good enough to be here, but you can be a student assistant. And that's how their relationship started uh, before Lincoln Riley was the offensive coordinator at East Carolina. Uh, but, but it was with Mike Leach as an offensive coordinator at Texas Tech and then East Carolina. And then, you know, the, uh, uh, went on from there. So, um, but has really, you know, changed, changed the way college football was played. And like you said, Matt, Texas Tech wasn't, known for being some sort of um I, I don't know what the word a pillar of the college football uh community but it is now and it and, and it's associated with the air raid because of of mike leach so um coach is is gone and uh, we pay our respects to him we're gonna i'll probably talk about him later on austin you said you have a parting shot on him i have a parting shot on him too. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube page and TikTok. We really appreciate um, any rates and reviews that you can give us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. Go ahead and shoot us an email. Um, we somebody left a really nice review uh, either this week or last, Austin, on the Apple Podcast. I don't know if you saw it, but it was a really long, a lengthy one. So we appreciate that. Early signing day show next week. December 21st. Matt, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Uh, first, would just like to say I love that uh, you talk all oh, TikTok, hit us on the gram, and they're like, but send us an email as well. Kind of going, uh, email is kind of becoming old school now. Uh, yeah, so we will be live from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. Somebody send us an email between now and next week, campus2canton at gmail.com, and we'll read your email on air. Uh, we will be live uh, for the entire signing day Um multiple members of us founders our recruiting team david and matt will be here as well we're really going to be approaching this um the entire day from a fantasy angle recruiting from the fantasy side of things you'll have 24 7 sports and all that will have you know this guy did this in high school and he's helping this recruiting class do what if you want to know how it affects the fantasy team depth chart what you know what we think about their talent where we have them ranked as our rankings are completely different than some of the other recruiting websites we'll have all that stuff live for you again the three of us will be there i believe chris moxley's going to stop by for a little bit we'll have david and matt who head our recruiting team alfred will be there as well like we'll have a 
ton of coverage on it all day long, talking about the signings, if there's any flips, like we had last year with some Travis Hunter. See if any of that happens. It'll be it'll be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to it. Again, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern next Wednesday. It's going to be a long day. Yeah. Uh, make sure you check us out on Better Sports on Saturday mornings, 8 to 10. We really want the Better Sports community to know that the Campus of Canton show is one of the hottest shows on that network. And then uh, one last announcement here. We're going to be do- – we're all doing giveaways, much to Austin's chagrin. Austin thinks that we should be holding the money. Now, we're going to do another giveaway. Um, when March – I mean, February, March gets here. That's going to be startup season. We're going to see memberships uh, increase here at campstand.com. And we're going to be giving away three uh, RSPs, Matt Waldman's RSP, to new NIL subscribers. So that means you get all of our content. All of our college rankings, over a thousand players ranked. You get our three guides: the uh, the freshman guide, the freshman and supplemental draft guide, the CFF guide, and the Devi guide, and the RSP. Uh, so stay tuned, Matt Waldman's RSP. Stay tuned for that, um, and uh, you could be one of the winners. We got to figure out how we should give those away. We should, but uh, well, we'll figure it out. All right. Um, Guys, bowl season is going to be in full swing starting Friday and Saturday. I think of uh, guys like Josh Downs, Brennan Presley, Elijah Kanan, all players who did virtually nothing up until the bowl to the bowl game. And then because of opt-outs or transfers or declaring for the NFL draft, they got t- – Josh Downs had three catches his freshman season before they played Texas A&M in the bowl game. And then he had four for 91 in that game. So give me a, give me a freshman who could come out of nowhere, Matt, and, uh, and have a huge ball game. All right. So I, I went really off the radar here and I, I would almost bet nobody has heard of this name, even Chris Moxley, who I was going to try and impress with this one. And I know he's listening. Cause I see him in the chat and I'm probably going to say his name wrong. Cause I do not know much about him. I did a lot of studying, this afternoon when I found out about this question. Tyquellen Mims, freshman wide receiver, Sir Southern Miss. This, this sounds like a key, a key and peel sketch right here. Has been having a, yeah, probably butchered as bad as he did. Uh, Tyquellen. Actually having a surprisingly good, not I shouldn't say good season, but he's he's actually had some catches. He was the 271st ranked wide receiver in his class last year. Three star out of, uh, what was it again here? Baldwin County played at Bay Minette in Alabama. So he has 300 yards, so it's not quite as bad as Josh Downs' four catches, but... He is, I don't think, burst onto the scene here. He actually averaged 10.8 points in uh, for fantasy this year, but their leading receiver, who had 52 receptions, Jason Brown, will be moving on. Uh, he is out of eligibility, and I think Taquell and Mims could take over the wide receiver on this roster. He is or has played most of his role out of the slot this year, and you may think, well, why does that really matter? It's Southern Miss. So Will Hall actually had a 1.75 pass explosiveness and their pass success rate was sitting at 1.75 as well, which is 16th best in the country this year. Over the past couple of years, his wide receivers one and two have both averaged uh, w- wide receiver. One has averaged at least 13.5 points a game. His wide receiver two, 
nine points a game. And it doesn't sound like a lot, but his offenses were down at about the 140, 1.4 range. It has now jumped up to 1.75. I think Takewell and Mims should have a massive day, actually, on Saturday against a really bad Rice team uh, in a game that I, I hope a lot of people will be watching because I think it could be fun, at least from the Southern Miss side of things. And could be a guy that would be a sneaky, like, guy you're playing when we get to later in the season when you're looking for guys to throw in your flex spot that not playing good competition that could end up could have ball so a guy you might play once or twice when the seat on the hey you know what if he if he wins you a college championship you really going to be complaining about it no because felix has never had that feeling he doesn't know i know i know he (laughs) hasn't yet i know austin who you got yeah, I didn't go nearly as deep as Matt, but I did get the crystal ball out uh, for the first time since the preseason here to kind of figure some things out. My prediction for a guy that blows up that hasn't done anything this season is Isaiah Sategna, wide receiver at Arkansas. And I think a lot of times, like Matt was saying, you know, you kind of pick a game where you think, like, Rice is terrible, Southern Miss probably going to score a lot of points. Like That could be a very high-scoring game. You're kind of looking at these games saying, like, you know, I'm not, I'm not looking for a 24-20 game. I'm looking for, like, a 45-41 game. I think this Arkansas-Kansas game has the potential – to be an 85 point plus total uh, there on the game. Kansas is not good defensively. Arkansas is not good defensively. Uh, both teams have a moderate amount of motivation. They both bring a lot of players back for this game. Arkansas is missing Trey Knox, though, who is one of their leading receivers this season, uh, tight end wide receiver hybrid, which is why I'm going with Sigtegna. He was injured for a large portion of the beginning of the year. Only one catch for 10 yards, number th- uh, uh, top 30 wide receiver in last year's class. Probably, if not the fastest wide receiver in the class, very, very close to it. He is really, really fast. Um, I could see him getting in this game and catching like two bombs. I really, really could. I could see like a three for 140 and two game or something out of a guy like this in a game that I think it's just going to, at some point, the defenses just aren't even going to walk on the field anymore. It's going to run out there, score in 30 seconds, and get back off the field. So I, I, I'm i going to guess Sikhtegna here is a guy that, that breaks out and, uh, I really, really hope so because I, I really like him. Yeah, I'm looking at uh, players who have declared for the NFL draft and who could have a good game behind them. Cedric Tillman and Jalen Hyatt have declared for the NFL draft. So your boy Squirrel White, Marquarius White, uh, he's a candidate. Rakeem Jared, Dante Demas, and Jacob Copeland have all declared for the draft uh, for Maryland. So Jayshon Jones, who has been around forever, I'm pretty uh, sure he's I, the same age as Demas, isn't he? he I, I believe so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jayshon Jones and, and Ty Felton. Ty Felton is a sophomore. I don't know if that means he's been around for three years or four years. But uh, I think that they are going to be the uh, primary targets for uh, Talia Tagovailoa. Parker Washington declared for the NFL draft. So Keandre Lambert-Smith, could he have a big game? Theo Johnson, uh, shout out to Detroit. Theo Johnson. Uh, Josh Downs. Josh Downs has already declared, I think. He has right? declared. Yeah. yeah he, uh, so Kobe Pesor. Uh, Chris Rodriguez at Kentucky. Cavassier Smoke is in the portal. So we got uh, Junta McLean and Lavelle Wright. Running backs there for uh, uh, Kentucky. Kentucky's going to get somebody in the portal. Are they going to get your boy Heisman 7? Is that where he's going to go, Matt? It sounds like. I don't know for sure. I can't report so that. So they're going to have like. Graham Mertz. Mr. Heisman said Graham Mertz is going to have his best season of his career next year. 1,500 pass yards. 
Would that be his best season? <laughs> no, he's gonna ha- he's gonna have thirty eight hundred yards passing, thirty touchdowns, Ooh. and like ten interceptions. Oh, all right. I, or, uh, I like four it. interceptions. Four interceptions. We, I think that Graham, I, I, that's a take that I, I've got. Graham Marks is going to go off next year. He might be the Kenny Pickett of next year. Oh, jeez. Um, Such a fall from Peyton Manning to Kenny Pickett. My God. Michael Mayer, I have no idea who the the tight end is, is going to be there uh, at, at Notre Dame uh, in place of Michael Mayer. The second leading tight end, Kevin Bauman, is out for the season. Eli, Eli Raritan is, is still out. I have no idea who it's going to be. It's going to be somebody. Uh, and then Tank Dell at Houston has declared for the draft. So it's going to – I mean, Matthew Golden is going to be a primary target for Houston there. Um, <laughs> when we were going through this, I had uh, uh, Damari Alston, a dense bowling ball running back for Auburn. Auburn not how, – how is Audit Auburn not make a bowl game? Auburn not in a bowl, uh, so no Damari Alston. But I thought that he, you know, would thank Bigsby declaring for the NFL draft. It could have been him. So um, let us know. Let us know what you think. Who can have a, uh, a breakout bowl performance uh, this this season with draft? I'm so out of it today. I really am. I'm completely out of it. Um, all right. Let's go here to recruiting now. Uh, 24-7 made some comments about Arch Manning being the QB1. Uh, before we talk about it, Matt, why don't you uh, play that sound for me? At number one and still the number one player in this 2023 class, Arch Manning from the state of Louisiana, the five-star quarterback, will be making plays for Steve Sarkeesian over at Texas. Look, man, everyone wants to knock Arch Manning. Oh, he didn't do this event. Oh, he didn't participate in this. Well, guess what, guys? Arch Manning, out of all the top two, four, seven quarterbacks, he threw more passes than any of them. He completed more passes than any of them. Look at him move on film in the pocket. Look at his frame. Throw in the fact that he's a multi-sport athlete. And I don't care if this kid's name was uh, Shane Falco or something like that. He would be the number one quarterback for us. He has the resume. It's a battle-tested resume. He is done what he needs to do on friday nights same school that produced Odell, Beck- odell beckham so let's let's get the narrative out there that it's just the manning last name no arch manning had a great senior season only threw two interceptions i think it went 115 passes without throwing on that is the best in the class of 2023 so arch manning definitely deserves that number one spot for those who don't know uh we have added a recruiting section to the website at campus2can.com. So our uh, rankings for this 2023 class have been available for a, for a while now there uh, uh, at the website. Austin, Arch Manning is not our quarterback one. Why is he not? Yeah, he's going to be pretty divisive. And they, they kind of just hit on some of the reasons in that clip why people are, are fading him. It's not a very strong area. For high school football, he plays at a small school and like a—I think it's a private school division too. And then basically, what happens is they beat up on it every year, and then they get to the, the like state playoffs, and they just get absolutely crushed. That's what happened Except again this they, year. No, they got knocked out. Well, maybe they did. They got knocked out super early. They got yeah, blown they out did. like sixty-three to nothing in their yeah, playoffs. They got crushed. Yeah, it, it's just not a very good team um overall. But I think you know, for people that want to preach tools, 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 like yeah, he. 
he does not have like the, the best anything in the class. Like he doesn't have the strongest arm. He's not the fastest. He's not the most mobile, but he's really good in all those areas. I think it's really hard to discount his last name. Like I, I think that last name earns him second chances that that he wouldn't get elsewhere, which I think matters a lot for quarterbacks that that you know you can only start one at a time. If you fail one place, you got to go someplace else. I think he'll continue to get those kind of chances. He's going to Texas, which I think is something that you can really, really like about him. Yeah, he's not my QB one. He's actually my QB two, and I think you could argue him no worse than QB four in this class. But I, I, I think he's a good player. I think some of the hate has gone too far, basically just from fans of teams that didn't end up getting him this year uh, uh, when it came down to it. Because yeah, he didn't like the NIL doesn't matter to him. His family's loaded. He didn't care about any of that at all. He didn't have to do the camp circuit. Because his last name is freaking Manning, he doesn't have to go, you know, to rivals and and mess around with all these other guys. He doesn't have to do that. But he's a good player. Matt, any thoughts on yeah. that? Uh, I mean, it's not that we don't like him. I mean, he, I'm pretty sure he's our consensus QB three. We have okay. Malachi Nelson and Dante Moore ahead of him. For uh, I'm almost positive everybody does. I know David has Dante Moore still as his QB one. I. I I dislike the narrative that Isadora Newman produced Odell Beckham Jr. That's wonderful and great. Odell Beckham Jr. didn't like pop off as a freshman at LSU. I don't even remember him popping off that much as a sophomore. It was that junior year that got him and Jarvis Landry all that attention, if I'm remembering correctly, When and then they ended up going on and getting drafted. Like Just because they produced a wide receiver doesn't mean that that Arch Manning is good because of the competition that they're playing, because it's not good. So I... I do think that that's a fair argument to make against him. They're playing a so Max Preps does a strength of schedule ranking for every high school in the entire nation. Theirs is a seven point four. You go look at guys like Malachi Nelson, who I believe is in the upper twenties. Dante Moore, who I don't remember off the top of my head, but I want to say his is right around ten. Which doesn't sound like a lot, but it what's is. What's a like good you, number? A good number. What's is a double, really good number, man? like 20 plus what Malachi Nelson, those kids in, in California or yep. the kids in Texas, like Austin Novosad are playing uh, uh, Jackson Arnold, that Denton Geyer, who's playing great competition every single week. Why we like those guys better is because we see them playing D one athletes every single week. Malachi Nelson's going up against guys who are going to be defensive linemen, linebackers, cornerbacks at the highest levels in college football already. Arch is not getting that. And then the game that he gets it, as Austin just mentioned, they go and get blown out. They lost 63 to nothing in that game. And I'm not saying it was because of Arch, because it wasn't. The team around him is is not great. They're not all Arch Mannings. But I don't. I do think that's a fair narrative to talk about. It's just not a good team. They don't play tough schedules. So the fact that he went out there and threw for he, he threw for 1,200 yards, guys. It, it's not like he went out there and like threw for 4,500 yards. It wasn't a whole lot of yards. He had a 56% completion percentage against bad competition. Like, there's, I think, something there that is fair to talk about. Now, I don't think it's fair to say he's QB 10 in the class, but I do think it's fair to have some questions about it. It's why we love, if we're, at least for me, I'll, I won't speak for we, I'll say me, I love the landing spot of Texas and Steve Sarkeesian because of what Steve Sarkeesian has shown to do with quarterbacks. Because as Austin mentioned, the tools are there. Can now Steve Sarkeesian get that out of Arch Manning? 
I think he's going to be a very good quarterback. I, I do think he's got high upside. I agree with everything else I said on the last name. That's going to get him drafted, and that's going to give him multiple opportunities because people don't want to be known as the GM who passed on a Manning, right? That, let's just be honest. That is the world that we live in. But I, I don't think that some of the stuff that they mentioned is is unfair to say or that they're saying that they're ranking him that high because of his last name. Like, it, it's okay to, to say that that is part of the, the analysis. I don't think there's anything wrong with putting that in there whatsoever. Austin, some of our listeners have not watched. They've heard the name, but they haven't watched Arch Manning play. Can you paint a picture for the type of player that he, he is so that we know what to expect once he gets on the field at, at Texas? Yeah, it's really funny. He's not. He doesn't really play like his uh, his uncles at all. He like the you know Peyton was like the purest of pocket passers. Eli was a little more uh, run around, but but not a lot. But Arch can can move. He can run. He kind of runs similarly to like how Matt Corral did at Ole Miss, where he's pretty like he's a good athlete, but he's also like very physical. Like will lower his shoulder, not afraid to run through a guy. He's six four two fifteen. Like he he's a big solid dude with with a frame. And I think he could be six four two twenty five if he wanted to be. Um, just to be able to to hang uh, hang around with, with with bigger players here, he's a bit of a gunslinger. Like I I think he still he needs to rein it in a little bit, but I think that's a good problem to have rather than being too conservative. And he's really savvy. Like he you can tell that he's like hung around with a bunch of dudes who are NFL Hall of Famers his entire life. Like he'll 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 draw guys off sides with like with different snap counts. He'll uh, <laughs> like the back shoulder throw. Like I think of all the quarterbacks in this class, he's the best at it already with, because he's just, you know, he he's learned from guys and, and he knows, you know, I'll put the ball here. Defender's never going to get there in a million years. Like some of those little nuances, I think he already has, which is great for him. I just don't think he's as naturally gifted as like Malachi Nelson, who's probably the most accurate high school quarterback I've ever watched. Or even, even like Dante Moore is probably a more, you know, naturally gifted player overall. But I, I, I think yeah. that arch there, I, I still think he it would it would pretty much it would surprise me if he doesn't at least go in the first couple rounds of the NFL draft. He'll be a first round pick. He's got the tools. I just want to touch on the strength of schedule thing really quick because I was wrong on Los Alamitos and I want to apologize to them. Their strength of schedule was 48.6 this year, which was 40th in the nation. That's what Malachi Nelson was going up against every single week. Dante Moore was 21.8. Arch Manning's was 7.4. Like, just to put that in context, if anybody knows who Ricky Collins is, if you don't, he's another quarterback in this class who plays in Woodlawn in Louisiana. His strength of schedule was better than Arch Manning's at 13.7. He was playing better competition than Arch. Like, I do just think that part matters. I don't like that 24-7 sports just brushes that off as that's a non-narrative because I do think that that matters. It would be... To For those of you who don't understand the high school argument of that, it would be like going into college football and saying, well, this guy's playing G5 competition all the time while these quarterbacks are playing in the SEC. Like, that does matter at the end of the day. doesn't mean he can't be good, but I do think that's a fair argument and talking point to have on, on him and, and what he's done so far in his high school career. Is he a top five draft pick in freshman drafts this coming offseason? <sighs> no. Malachi, it's a good question. Dante, Cedric. I mean, Malachi, Dante, Cedric Baxter, Zachariah. I'd probably take Branch over him at least. 
I personally so then probably it comes also down take. To, John, I'd probably take Jonte Cook over him too. But would you take Mikhail Lemon? He's my. Or is that where you kind of start getting so, close? Yeah, I, so then, I would. So seven. He's going to be. You're gonna, not taking. You're not taking any should, other running back. He should go first round. Well, it really depends on. I know this is like a totally different discussion. Like what your waiver wire looks like right now, because there's always guys that, you know, if you only have a couple waiver wire picks up pickups a year, there's definitely guys that are going to follow through the cracks to take early. I don't think in most circumstances he should make it out of the first round. I just would probably, if there's a guy in your league that has the first overall pick and he takes Arch Manning, you can really take advantage of that guy in trades moving forward. You know that <laughs> if he does that, <laughs> Colin will probably do it. So I, I can take advantage of Colin moving forward. Well, no one is taking advantage of Coach Prime in Boulder, Colorado. He secures his first uh, big-time recruit, Matthew, the number 10 running back in the class. Can you talk to me about uh, Dylan Edwards, um, how you can see him contributing at Colorado this season or in the future? Yeah, uh, so I like Dylan Edwards. I'm getting – publicly and uh, privately shamed about this uh, because he is a smaller back. Uh, but I do think that he fits well in Sean Lewis's offense. So for me, Dylan Edwards, I think is a very fascinating player to watch. I think he's got some of the best burst and speed in this class. He reaches his max speed quickly. He's very good at changing directions without really losing any speed. He has a very dangerous spin move, in my opinion, that leaves defenders reeling going in the other direction. He has that ability to, as people describe it, make defenders miss in a phone booth. And I believe he can legitimately score anywhere on the field. And he actually has good hands as well, which is why I like the fit at Colorado compared to where he was going in Notre Dame because they bring over Sean Lewis from Kent State, who had another smaller back, granted 15 pounds heavier than Dylan Edwards is currently listed in Marquez Cooper. Now, why Dylan Edwards may not be quite the rusher that Marquez Cooper was for Kent State, I believe he can be a much better receiver, and they were not afraid to get him the ball in that offense. I think that's exactly what they're bringing him in here to do. So I think, again, I'm not saying he's going to be – not going to Colin Decker it and say he's second-round draft capital kind of guy, but I do think he is a player who could play three to four years on the college level and be a top-scoring CFF back, especially if he's going to be the running back for Colorado. They don't really have anybody on the roster currently. That scares me. And if he comes in with his not only just his receiving ability and his ability as a rusher, but he's also a really good kick and punt returner. So he could legitimately get on the field day one for them, even if it's on special teams and work his way into that running back rotation. I think he has a chance to be a really good running back for you, CFF, as a freshman. I understand he's undersized, but if you go watch some of the, the some of his film, he doesn't really take those big shots. He does a really good job of avoiding them. Maybe that changes in the Pac-12. I don't know. I get it. He's 155. You've got to be a little bit worried about that. And I don't want to say he's way to bury the lead. 155. He, I don't really I was know. 155 is like a 155. Grader. 165. Like, Not that that matters that much. We get it's 15 pounds lighter than what Marquez Cooper was able to do. And again, granted, I get it. G5. Whatever. But it's not like the Pac-12 has got some of the best defenses in. in he better be really fast. Time. He is. Really fast. They, we have him tracked over 22 miles an hour. So he is okay. very fast. He, he is Archer. very, very fast. I, I just I think that he's got the ability to be very good for that offense. I'm not saying he's going to be NFL draft coach, but if he ends up being like Deuce Vaughn, you're telling me you wouldn't take him like the third or fourth round of your freshman draft because everybody else is going to fade him because he's 165 pounds. Matt, I wanted no. to talk about this because um, he was committed. I thought he was committed to Alabama. Was he not committed to Alabama? No, mm -hmm. he was committed to okay. – 
Kansas, well, State, Kansas State, Notre and then Dame, Notre Colorado. Dame, and then now it's flipped to Colorado. Kansas and I don't State, understand. I, I have to address this for the podcast listening audience with the Matt Caesar running back under 180 pounds and the, the Leonardo DiCaprio meme of you have my curiosity. Now you have my attention. I like two running backs under 180 pounds. I don't know why I get saddled with this. It's two more than the rest of us. So. It's Gavin Sawchuk. And I, I take that back. Oh, Cameron Cook. Sorry. He's actually 182, but whatever. So three. Uh, Colorado's class is current currently ranked number 59 overall i mean i would expect them to get more flips matt or austin you can weigh in too over under number 40 uh overall in the country when it's all said and done do you think that their their, their class will be better or worse man i think it'll be slightly better but i think their better bets actually going to be hitting the transfer portal I think it's just really hard at the, like two weeks before signing day to flip a lot of these guys. Like you might get one or two, but you won't get that many. And Dylan Edwards actually had a prior connection with him, which I think really, really helped. He played for him like youth football or something. Oh. Dylan Edwards did. And he tried to get him at Jackson state when he was there. That was never going to happen. Uh, Colorado, uh, a lot more palatable if you're a guy like him. So there's not a lot of guys. Uh, there's not even a lot of guys that are rumored to be looking at Colorado. I think Caden Proctor is the big one. I'll be interested to see if he goes there. He is a top, I believe he just got bumped up a little bit in the composite. He's a top five player overall, I think, in the class. He's the number one offensive tackle. He's currently committed to Iowa, but there's been some smoke that maybe he wasn't actually planning on going to Iowa. It's been some some Oregon rumors. Uh, and now uh, he announced he got an offer to Colorado like 10 minutes after Prime uh, shifted over there. So that, that would be a guy. But I think there's so many... Like last year and the year before that, they kind of had the advantage where like the NIL stuff wasn't set up at some of these places yet. Whereas like now, like Miami and Florida and some of these schools are are, are throwing the cash out there and kind of kind of uh, soaking a bunch of these guys up that are like swayed by that kind of thing. Like the NFL may not be the the biggest thing. Like where can I get paid now slash like play for somebody cool? So um, I, I think. In the 40s, but not over 40 would be my guess. Yeah, I'm going to agree with Austin. I mean, they're 30 points behind in, in the grading system that 24-7 sports uses behind Vanderbilt, who's currently the 40th ranked school. You'd have to flip like multiple, and I'm talking like three or four four stars to get back, to get up that high. And and I don't know that Dion wants to do that. I think, you know, we, we've heard all the rumors. A lot of this stuff has been more transfer portal guys have been like calling out to Dion, but Hey, do you need help? You know, and try and rebuild it quick. That's really what he did at Jackson state. He only flipped two players. It was Travis Hunter and Kevin Coleman. It, it most of the stuff, most of the other players he brought in were transfer portal players. That's what I expect him to do. Like, I would not be surprised if come the end of January 18th and, and 24 seven sports put out their transfer portal grades. If Colorado's not in the top 10 there, because of the players he'll be able to bring in through the transfer portal. I don't know how much higher they raise than 60, though. I, I think they possibly could get into, like, 47, 45 range. I don't think they go over 40. That that would take a – it would be, like, a, ma a incredible – like, we would be talking about one of the greatest, like, recruiting flip signing day things in, in modern history if they're able to flip that many players over to his team and, and jump well, that high. If it's going to happen, it would be like this kind of a circumstance. Right, right? yeah. I'm not saying it will. Really, I don't think it can. Like, but 
I'm saying if that happens, we're going to have a whole lot of fun next Wednesday because we're going to be talking about a whole lot of players all of a sudden flipping to Colorado and be like, holy crap, like how high is this going to go? How about this? On on, I'll start at 8 a.m. I won't be on the show the whole time, but I'll be available. I will drink a beer for every flip that they get. <laughs> and we'll see if I can get real saucy by five o'clock. <laughs> I, I don't know if it's possible, but it's, I'll play that game. We'll see. What, we'll see what we can get. It's going to be fun if, like, all of a sudden, one o'clock when I jump on the coverage and we're like, "Where's Austin?" It's like he's he's Kelsey's going to come home and be like, "What? What? What are you doing? <laughs> what the hell happened?" Well, I mean, we're going to need to pay attention to the class of twenty twenty four. And do you think that Colorado can become a destination, Matt or Austin? Do you think that? Dion can return Boulder into a place where recruits are going to go. Define destination. Like, where realistically, top 20. Is he going to be a guy that can get, you know, a, a, two five stars, you know, a couple, a handful of four stars, uh, that sort of thing? Go ahead, Matt. I think, I think he can because players want to play for him. It's what we talked about on last week's show. Austin and I spent a lot of time talking about on better sports. Like, as as Austin talked about, I want to say it was a month ago now, he's sexy. He he really is, and players want to go play there. And I think this narrative of the he's – the, he's the player's coach, he's a fun coach, he's it right now in college football. And we see that that drives stuff for these younger kids. Like, they want to be in the spotlight. Felix, you mentioned it. There's a really good chance college game day is going to be there week one. Like that's what these kids want, and with the with the playoffs expanding, we, we've seen Alabama still a, a number one ranked school, and again, so this is very very early. But just looking at it, Colorado's the forty ranked, thirty fourth ranked recruiting class right now, twenty twenty four. Now it's not a lot of these other kids still haven't committed. They technically only have two commits, so it's not like it's a big, big like ex- sample size. But the fact I believe he landed that four star wide receiver a week ago. Would not surprise me if they're able to do that more, especially if the if this offense and defense can play the way we possibly think they can with the hires that he's made. Sean Lewis can come in there and make that offense fun to watch. They're going to be able to get offensive players. The guy that he brought in from Alabama, I want to say they talked about this on either cover three or it was it was Josh Pate. The dude has like been a massive recruiter for Alabama and for Georgia. And now he's come over to Colorado and is going to help do it. Like, I think that matters. Having a guy who's brought in so many top-end recruits for those two schools clearly shows he knows how to recruit. Maybe, again, it was Alabama, Georgia, so that definitely gives you a little bit of breathing room to bring those guys in. But I think that guy clearly knows what he's doing. They also brought in a guy who's very good, a very good high school coach, so he knows how all that stuff works. Like, Dion's making the right moves to make this a legitimate spot to be for these kids. And if they start winning, then there's no reason why they shouldn't go there. I wonder if his character on the twenty on the uh, on the uh, college football video game NCAA what twenty three twenty four whenever they release it is his coach going to have a chain on? Is his character going to have a chain on and, and glasses on the sideline? Come on, EA Sports, do it. All right, he'll be on the cover. Um, he could. He should be. Yeah. He should be on the cover. We'll negotiate that. Watch. All right, one one more topic before we close out the show. I want to talk about the draft, the Detroit Lions. They take on the Jets on Sunday. Uh, they've won four, five of their last six. They are one win out of a playoff spot. They also have the fourth and 15th picks in the draft. In the last six, Jared Goff has thrown 10 TDs, one interception. He's only 28 years old. He's playing well. 
He's playing well, and now Jameson Williams is healthy, and now DJ Chark is healthy. They got you know a variety of weapons there, including Amon Ross St. Brown. Austin, would you draft a quarterback if you were the Lions? I don't think I would. My my like initial I, I tried not to think about this question too much, even though you posed it to us on Sunday. Like I want to talk about this this week. And you so I, I I my initial is just like, no, don't take a quarterback. Why would you? The offense is humming. They've got a lot of pieces there to make him successful. What's the big thing on Goff? Well, like pressure really phases him. Well, they've got one of the best offensive lines in all of uh, professional football as well, which has really, really helped him out. I think you just beef up the defense, trade back from four if one of the quarterbacks falls or whatever. You can probably get a probably get up, you know, get a first and a second for it. Like there's another nice defensive prospect. I mean, I think. I think Detroit's playing with house money at this point, which is really weird to say. I do wonder, like, I don't know if um, uh, the the kneecap biter, why why am I blanking on his Dan, name? Right Dan, Campbell. Dan Campbell. Dan Campbell. I don't know if he can get them there, though. He might be the guy that, like, he kind of gets them there. They fire him and they bring in the, another guy and, and that person gets them over the hump. I could see that happening. But, I mean, Goff has been to a Super Bowl. Now I know that like, you know, he was working with McVeigh and McVeigh was like sitting in his ear up until the snap telling him like where he needed to go. But I I, I think he's fine. Like I think I, I've seen worse quarterbacks get get there to the Super Bowl and and win one. I, I don't see why you why you wouldn't. Yeah, I'm I'm with Austin on this. I mean, I get Chris Moxley's in the chat saying, bro, you got two picks. Why not take a quarterback and see why waste a pick? when you have a, a quarterback who you know can win you games at the NFL level. Like, we're just assuming that one of these guys can because we don't know that. We, we make these assumptions all the time, and we've seen these guys flame out time after time after what, time. What if Stroud and Young are gone anyway? You going to take Levis there? Well, I know who Felix wants. He wants them to take Anthony Richardson at 15 because then I, I think he would probably have a heart attack on – well, he won't be on live with us, but he'll, he'll be the happiest man in the world. He'll he'll be he'll be happy to be you know he'll be so happy he he'll stop dating already in 2023 as soon as as soon as the draft happens. <laughs> Anthony how many times? How many times have you said you're going to be done dating in 2022 and then we see it again the next week? I, I am done. I am done. I am done. You but guys are getting sidetracked. I agree with Austin on that. Like, and I also agree with the Dan Campbell thing. I think I said that last week, and I know Moxley kind of gave me a side. It's not that Dan Campbell is a bad coach. I think he's a great. He, he's shown that he's built the Lions back up. I just don't know that he is the guy that leads them to the playoffs and gets them Super Bowl. But I personally would not. I would draft defense. You're, you're loaded on offense. Jared Goff has a manageable contract for the next two seasons. If you really need a quarterback, go get one in 2024. Where we already think at least there's going to be at least three, possibly four guys that you want to draft. If you really need one, you can trade up at that point. See what it is. But this, I honestly think they're making the playoffs this year. So I don't even think that's a discussion. They have a much better shot. Uh, then Washington, New York, and Seattle, the three teams that are ahead of them, they have three winnable games after the Jets. If they can beat the Jets this weekend, they play, I believe it's the Chicago Bears, the Arizona Cardinals, and I don't remember who the last team is, but I appreciate it may be the Green Bay Packers. Three, the Packers. Yeah, three winnable games for the Lions. If they win those, they're in the playoffs. I don't know why you would move on from Jared Goff and take a shot on somebody when you can continue to build what is already a team that, I mean, realistically is a playoff team. And and once you get in, 
you can win it. We saw that with two wild card Giants teams that realistically were the Lions have had a, lot of, a lot of 1992. So y'all can save me with the look. I wasn't the alive. Brown, the Browns hadn't won a playoff game either until a couple years ago when they beat the Steelers. You never know what could happen. Like nobody went into that game. I'll, I'll tell you right now, I wasn't. I fucking started crying when they won that game. When and that snap went over Ben Roethlisberger's head, and I saw him crying on the bench. I was the happiest person in the world. Happiest person in the world. The Lions have. I'm pretty yeah. sure the Lions, they, I don't know if they took it down, but they have a banner in Ford Field for their 2011 playoff appearance. <laughs> playoff appearance, a banner. You know how, the, the, how they have all those banners for the Patriots, the Super Bowl wins? The Lions have a banner for a playoff appearance. Uh, all right, let's close out the show. Matt, do you want to start us off with parting shots? Yeah, I can, I can do that. And I feel bad because I did not, um, well, I didn't go the way that you guys went. I thought we were going to talk a lot about that at the beginning Probably of the show. Probably for the best. Sorry. I'm trying to get my parting shot to pull up, and it's not doing that at the moment. So that's the wrong sheet. Austin, you want to go first? No, I yeah, should I go first. No, 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 no. Let me go first, please, because mine's stupid, <laughs> and I don't want to drag down your guys' great stuff about Mike Leach. So, this is not how they yeah. introduce parting shots on the sports resource. I'm sorry. I was not they just ready. just go to it, we and they just start going. just over a week away from what many consider to be one of the most magical times of the year. It will be Christmas before we know it. Sitting around the Christmas tree, exchanging gifts, and spending time with loved ones, it is one of the most beautiful times to be surrounded by family and be truly thankful for everything that you have. However, as beautiful and as exciting as the day of Christmas is, leading up to it can be stressful and hectic. Some may feel that they are drowning under the pressure of getting the right gifts with last-minute shopping. The stressful environment leading up to Christmas could aptly be described as early signing day on December 21st. While some teams can sit back and know that they are prepared for college's Christmas morning on Wednesday, where they get to unveil their shiny new weapons for their offense and their defense, many teams are left wondering, did I do enough? Will I be able to bring home said top player to appease my fans and alumni base? Many coaches, staffers, fans, and parents will be stressing on college football's Christmas morning as we await for the decisions that can ultimately not only reshape college teams, but their child's futures and the current landscape of college football. While most teams sit back and enjoy their blessings and celebrate every new player who signs on the dotted line, we must never forget that with every Christmas tale of joy, there is always that thief of joy somewhere. Whether it's Ebenezer Scrooge, the Grinch, Hans Gruber, or Oogie Boogie, much like the Joker in the Batman movie, they just want to watch the world burn. Be careful of that man this year who is currently hidden in the shadows of the college football world as his four and five stars that he is coming to steal. As Coach Prime once again aims to flip Christmas on its head, much like the Grinch did to Whoville. While some teams may attempt to fight back like John McClain, Dion will not be falling off Nakatomi Plaza like Hans Gruber because there's a chance when it's all said and done and the smoke is cleared, Dion will be sitting on ESPN on TV with a smile from ear to ear like the Grinch who stole college football's Christmas. There's a lot to unpack with the death of Michael Leach. Because Leech means so many different things to so many different people. You can focus on how he revolutionized college football with his air raid offenses, a system that produced winners at every school that he coached at. You can talk about his quirks, how he's handled himself with the media, with recruits, and with his players. I've been more interested in a juicier story, one that I wasn't even aware was still ongoing until I did some digging late on Monday night. For those that remember Leach's time at Texas Tech, like we talked about earlier, 
Leach was unceremoniously dumped by the Red Ra Raiders due to accusations that he mistreated Adam James, son of former ESPN college football analyst and SMU star running back Craig James. Specifically, Leach was accused of confining James to a storage space while he had a concussion. And there are various versions of this story. I doubt we'll ever get the exact truth of what happened on that day, but regardless, claims of abuse followed. The situation was certainly fueled by James's position at ESPN, and after a short investigation, Mike Leach was canned. Leach sued Texas Tech in 2009 for wrongful termination of his contract, but the suit was actually dismissed because of Texas's sovereign immunity statute, which, which indemnifies the state's public institutions from liability in most civil cases. We don't have to get into that right now. That's a joke. But Leach, who holds a law degree from Pepperdine University, was not deterred. Leach hired an, an investigator to acquire documents related to his firing and is suing on his behalf in an attempt to help restore Leach's reputation. Now, here's where this gets interesting. Because Leach himself is technically not the plaintiff in this case, it can continue even after his death. Although it's clear that Leach's reputation has already recovered, and Texas Tech's maybe not so much, James is no longer relevant on a national stage. I'm hoping that just a little more justice can be handed out on his behalf. Just before he died, a minor controversy popped up involving the late coach Leach. Junior running back Dylan Johnson took a swipe at him on his way into the transfer portal, saying, quote, since I'm not very tough and Leach is glad I'm leaving, I'll be entering my name into the transfer portal. Coach Leach was no stranger to controversy, specifically concerning treatment of his players. In 2009, he was fired from uh, as head coach of Texas Tech uh, after allegations of abuse arose uh, around wide receiver Adam James, son of former ESPN college football analyst Craig, Craig James. Interestingly enough, three people came to back Leach publicly following those allegations of abuse. A former wide receiver named Eric Morris, a former quarterback named Grant Harrell, and Leach's offensive coordinator, Lincoln Riley. Where the line is on how a coach treats a player and whether that line was crossed is a subject of, of conversation that pops up from time to time, whether it's Nick Saban forcing Dolphins rookie defensive tackle manual right to tears, Brian Kelly going berserk on the sideline, or Trent Dilfer getting physical and shouting at one of his players during uh, his time as head coach at Lipscomb Academy in Nashville. Is the behavior acceptable, excusable? Well, that's for each individual to decide. But there's one story I'd like to share. By the time I got to Grand Valley as a freshman in 2005, wide receiver Eric Fowler was an established player, the go-to boundary wide receiver for a championship-bound Division II team, six foot three, 210 pounds. He knew how to use his body to box out smaller defenders. But even before practices, Eric would be dialed in headphones on, emotion, emotionless expression, talking to no one. I later learned that Eric was coached really hard uh, as a freshman and sophomore. One of Coach Martin's favorite ways to dress someone down in practice if they weren't playing well was to say that he was going to take the player out of the session and have the team play with 10 guys and a pylon. Coach talked about Eric's development and the need to get him to focus, to th take things seriously, to reach his potential. Well, Eric Fowler would go on from playing Division II to sit stints with the Lions, Steelers, and Rams. That's going to be our show for tonight. Apologies to Kirk Herbstreit. We ran out of time. We will get him rescheduled soon. For Matt Bruning and Austin Nace, I'm Felix Sharp. Good night and good luck.
backfield. Intercepted by Eli Apple at the 25. And Apple will go to the ground at the 32, and that's it. Ohio State national champions for the eighth time as they defeat Oregon 42 to 20. Here's Tua stepping back, loads up, looks long, throws, end zone, touchdown, touchdown Alabama, Devontae Smith, touchdown Alabama, and the Crimson Tide has once again ascended to the top of the college football mountain, their fifth national championship in nine years, their 17th overall. Watson takes a snap, rolls right, looks to the end zone. Hunter Enfield caught it! Touchdown! 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 With a second left, Watson hits Renfro, and Clemson grabs a 34-31 lead and is one second away from the second national championship in school history. Hill. Just in front of his end zone, has a man out there, it is Ranger, and he's off to the races, nobody will catch him! <laughs> 93 yards for the freshman! He made the adjustments in the second quarter. Dobbins again, more than 10 yards per carry, he'll add to that! Goodbye, touchdown Ohio State. From 52 yards.